Welcome to the Studies in Proverbs podcast, produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. This is taken from a video series you can find on our website, heartcrymissionary.com. HeartCry is a missionary society founded by Paul Washer. The goal of our ministry is to glorify God and bring the greatest possible good to humankind through the preaching of the gospel and the establishment of biblical churches throughout the world. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society. Welcome once again to our study in the book of Proverbs. Again today we are in chapter 3 beginning in verse 13 through 18. And let's go ahead and read. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this passage. And Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom to communicate the, the truths that are found here to your people who are listening. And especially, Lord, since we are applying some of these things to Christ, let it be for his honor and for his people's good. Lord, most of all, I pray for the young people that they would know this Christ of the Bible, that they would trust in him savingly, that they would grow into his image and Lord, of all the things I could ask you to give them, wisdom would be one of those things. But there's even a greater thing that you would give them a heart, Lord, a heart that would be especially devoted to your son. In Jesus name. Amen. Now, in the last three sessions, we have been uh, looking at this passage, but kind of in the context of the person of Christ. And in each one of the lessons, I've read an introduction that I want to read again because it's very important. Throughout the book of Proverbs, there are striking similarities between wisdom and the person of Christ. It does not mean that you can substitute the name or person of Christ in the place of wisdom each time you see the word. Nor does it mean that there are exact parallels between Christ and wisdom. So how should we look at this? Well, most scholars agree that the wisdom displayed in Proverbs is a type or shadow of an infinitely greater reality, and that is Christ. And the way that when we read the law, we see, for example, the sacrifices, and they're a type or shadow of the coming sacrifice of Christ. But there's another way in which you can, there's no comparison, the blood of bulls and goats and the precious blood of a spotless lamb the Son of God. Or we see Moses as an intercessor and we think that's a type of Christ, and it, it, it is. But it's such a small shadow of the reality of who Christ is. So here, when we look at wisdom, oftentimes we will see things that remind us of Christ. And I believe we're seeing something similar, that Christ is the Word of God. Christ is the wisdom of God made manifest. But these things that are in Proverbs are only a shadow or a type 
They're not the substance or the full reality of who Christ is. Always remember that. All right. Now, thus far, we've seen that he's the true source of blessing. We saw that in in Proverbs 3.13. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. How much more can we say how blessed is the man who finds Christ? He is that treasure. He himself is the treasure. Not all that he can give us, even though that is an amazing thing, but he himself, his person, fellowship with him, eternal life with the Son. Then we also saw that he's more desirable than all things in the universe combined. Now, don't think I'm saying that just because, well, it's what I'm supposed to say. Um, As you grow in the Lord, young person, you will begin to see, hopefully in the scriptures, all that the Son of God truly is and all that he has done for you, especially on Calvary. And all that awaits you because of him. And you will see that if if you were to sell Christ for an infinite number of universes, you will have been cheated. Because all of creation, no matter how far it goes beyond our own universe, it's rubbish compared to knowing Christ. And then we talked about in the last one that he's the source of life. He's the source of eternal life and abundant life and life that is not dependent upon circumstances, but life that flows from the reality of who he is and what he's done for us and what he's promised us and life that flows from the Holy Spirit that he has given to us and made made the indwelling of the Holy Spirit possible in us through his death on Calvary. So he is the source of all life. And remember, young people, I said, you really need to be careful here. There is so much today that passes for life and it's not life. It's just superficial entertainment. It distracts you so that you never really think about the big questions. And, and, and so many men entangle themselves um, in these distractions of entertainment, of leisure, of luxury, of financial gain, of power, of fame. And, and they become almost like unthinking animals with no concern for their end. I, I have seen... I can't tell you how many funerals where unbelieving men will be gathered around the casket of a friend, unbelieving friend that has just died. And they'll look down and say, yes, death is a reality and uh, that'll be us soon. And then walk away and forget about the whole thing and go on with their distractions and entertainment. Don't don't be like that. Realize that it is a wonderful thing to be alive, but it is a very solemn thing. And one day we will die and one day we will stand before God. And that's what really deserves our attention. Now, we're going to finish up by uh, looking at Proverbs um, 16. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. And then verse 17 
Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Happy are all who hold her fast. Now, uh, notice, and I said this in the last lesson, but I want to say it again. The right hand is, is the place of prominence. So I want you to notice that it talks about long life, eternal life, abundant life, is in his right hand, and riches and honor in the left. Now, I want you to see this in two different ways. First of all, I want you to see that life, abundant and eternal, far exceeds any material blessing that we could even receive from the Lord. The greatest blessing from the Lord is to know Him and to be reconciled to Him through His death and resurrection. Do you see that? We also recognize that that on this earth, God can and does prosper his people. Now, it's not like those TV evangelists, not at all. But God does care for his people in very, very special ways and according to their need and according to his plan. He may send a missionary to live in the middle of a jungle somewhere in a boarded up old hut, spend his entire life there, and yet call another one of his children to be a businessman who lives in a fine house, but also uses his wealth to support that missionary on the field. So we need to be very, very careful with regard to this matter. God does prosper his people, but according to their need and according to his purposes, the expansion of his kingdom. But I want you to look at this, at least at this time, as eternal. That Christ has promised great things to his people. And we've already spent a lot of time talking about the greatest part of eternal life is, is communion with Christ. It's, it's knowing him and growing in our knowledge of him and just, just basking in, in the beauty and the splendor of his person. But, but it also I want you to see some other things. And, and they're real things and they're important things. They're not superficial because they're mentioned in the scriptures over and over. You know, Jesus says, don't make your treasures here on earth where moths and thieves and rust and everything else can destroy it. But he says, put your treasure in heaven. And he says, you know, someone who's given a cup of cold water to a disciple will not lose his reward. And he says, many times, you know, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me or to give to every man according to what he is due. And we know that our salvation is not, has nothing to do with our works. That it is 100% a thing of grace. It is by faith. No man can boast. We are reconciled to God through the work of his son. Period. Add anything to it, you're no longer being Christian. And yet, as Christians, we know that we have a life to live, a stewardship, that we're called upon to live a certain way, to know His commands, to know His plan for our life, and to serve Him according to His providence, His decrees, what He wants from each of us. And although that may look differently, it's still we should carry it out with the same dedication. You know, I work with missionaries. And so I tell people that missions is really quite simple. You're either called to go or you're called to send. You either go down into the, the well or you hold the rope for those who go down. But either way, the same dedication is required. And I want you to see that as a Christian, you shouldn't just sit there and say, 
It's all of grace. I'm going to heaven and then be passive. No. You should say, it is all of grace. I'm going to heaven. How then shall I live? And it's not just I'm going to separate from sin and separate unto God. It's not just that I'm going to grow in sanctification and conformity to Christ. Now, those are extremely important, but it's not just that. It's I'm going to serve Him. And in some way that is is very hard to understand, yet it is in the Scripture. It's hard to balance, but it's there. There is eternal reward. And that we need to think about living in light of that eternal reward. Now, with regard to salvation itself, in John 14, 2, um, Jesus says, In my house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. Now, I know that um, to some degree he's speaking metaphorically, but the whole idea is there is a real heaven. And one day there's going to be a real new earth. And the idea here is that there is a place for us. And it is in close communion and close proximity to the Father. As though one could say, we will be in the Father's house. Now, how literal this is going to be fulfilled, I don't know. But I do know this. I'm looking forward to a day where I go to a place that is no longer fallen. A real place, not some fiction, but a real place where I'm going to live in fellowship, close proximity with the Father. And then one day I believe that there will be a new heaven and a new earth and that that on this earth we will dwell. Exactly how all that's going to work out, I don't know. But I know that, that something spectacular, real, and even material, some created thing awaits me where I will exist And no longer will it be marred by sin. No longer will it be marred by by, uh, the, the, the enmity that exists now between God and men. And so I'm excited about that. And yes, it's not, my, it's not my primary motive. My primary motive is I need to serve Jesus Christ because He died on a tree for me. That is my primary motive. He's worthy. Yet at the same time, I want to tell you, especially as I get older, Man, he has riches and honor in his in his left hand and it's for his people. And I want to be faithful. First Corinthians two nine. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Isn't this this is wonderful? I mean, you got to admit the imagination of human beings is is pretty amazing. I mean, they they come out with films of where they create other worlds and all sorts of things, and that the it seems spectacular. And you say to yourself, only if I could live in a world like that and be like that. And yet, you take the the far reaches of man's imagination, and it doesn't even begin to describe what is waiting for the Christian? Isn't that amazing? You know, the other day, my, my children, they, they really they laugh at me for being so old-fashioned and not knowing what's going on. And so there was this thing called uh, virtual reality or something. So you put this thing on your head. And, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect. I just thought it would be some figures or something. I put it on, and all of a sudden, I'm in another room. 
And it, it was absolutely amazing. I would have never dreamed that something like that existed. And yet, that's absolutely nothing. Nothing compared to what is awaiting the believer. And I'm excited about that, to be honest with you. Very excited. No matter what I can imagine with regard to beauty, created beauty, it will be excelled in what the old timers called Emmanuel's land. No matter what I can think of or imagine as far as pleasure or joy, it won't even, I can't even begin to imagine what kind of pleasures and joys are in the hands of my master ready to give to his people. And so I want to live for that, do you see? And, and when you see it that way, it's so easy to give up things here because you're going, why do I care? Look what's coming. And then in Romans uh, 2, 6 and 7, it says, who will render to each person according to his deeds to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Now, again, our salvation is grace. It's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not of works, therefore no man can boast. But having been converted, having been saved, there is this sense, and, and we see it, don't we? We see some people who, who just seem to they, they live for eternity. I remember, you know, so many missionaries in Peru that were like fathers and mothers to me and their example of how they lived for eternity or this one uh, sister from Europe who spent her life in the jungles, in the northern jungles of Peru and just what a role model she was um, to lose everything, to give their life for the Master. And, and don't think they're doing this as some sort of drudgery or martyrdom or without expectation. They were doing it because, and I love this passage, they were seeking for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. This sounds almost like something you would see, you know, from the Spartans, you know, uh, live and fight for honor, for glory, for immortality. Well, that is something that really impacts my life. It did as a young man. It does now. Yes, I'm going to go through that war and I'm going to preach. Yes, I'm going to go down that river. I don't care how dangerous it is. And we're going to do it for Him and for His name. And we're going to place His banner in a place it's never been placed before. And we're going to do it for glory and honor and immortality. You see, oh, I wish God would raise up. I would hope that He would raise up a group of young men and women, brave hearts, brave hearts, brave hearts, who look at this world and just disdain it and say, I will be the one. I will go by the grace of God and I will take the banner of Jesus Christ and put it in a place where it is yet to be placed. Oh, that God would give us some young people like that. So, now I want to go to the last thing in Proverbs 3.17. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace, speaking of wisdom. But I can also tell you this. Christ's ways are pleasant ways and all His paths are peace. 
When I was a missionary in Peru, I, I learned what it was like to be very afraid for the cause of Christ in the middle of a, a war, or to be cold, or to be burning up with a fever in the middle of a tent, or to be hungry. To be, a, like I said, terrified for the sake of Christ. I've gone through trials, heart attacks and operations and all sorts of things. Um, I live with you know, chronic pain. But I can tell you this, I can raise my hand and I can bear witness that my master is the kindest of masters, that his ways are peace that all His ways are pleasant. Oh, if you ever believed the testimony of a man, then believe what I'm saying, young person. You will never find another like Jesus. There is no way I could write out a list in my many years of, of how many times I have failed Him. How many times I have misspoken, how many times I have been foolish, how many times I've been proud or arrogant or timid or whatever malady, whatever weakness you want to mention, uh, it's on my list. How many times I have failed Him? Never once has any of His words fallen to the ground undone. Never once has He failed me. Never once has He come up short. And even all the trials and everything else, they have proven to be for my good. And so when I, when I say that I hope you young people will give everything and follow hard after Christ, um, I am entrusting you to the kindest of all lords. In Matthew 11:28-30, he says, "Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest." And this is this can refer to any type of weariness, or it, it may have he may have been talking about the um, the religious people who their whole thing was just following rules, following rules, and eventually, you know, that becomes a burden that no one can carry. He says, "Put all that down and just come to me." Isn't that amazing? Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying. Stop. Stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. Salvation is not about trying. It's not about doing your best. It's not about doing your part and God does the rest. He says, come to me. You are weary. You who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. How does he give you? What do I got to do to get rest? Well, what do you think you got to do? Lay down. <laughs> Fall down fall into His arms. Just quit trying to gain salvation on your own. And just trust that He gained it all on Calvary. Come to Me all who are weary and heavy laden. You say, so many sins I've committed, so many things I've done wrong, there's just no way. Why would you not believe Him? Why would you doubt Him? 
When you say, I'm not good enough to come, you're misunderstanding everything about salvation. Salvation is because we're not good enough to come. Trusting in Christ is because we cannot. Remember what I always tell you, young people, there's only one hero in this story. And it's not a famous preacher from the past. And it's not some super spiritual person you might know. The hero is Jesus Christ. The rest of us are failures who need to be saved, who need to be redeemed. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You know, when I was in Peru, there's this group of people in the northern mountains, very special people. I sometimes wonder if if they're the remnants of the old Spaniards that first came to Peru, the conquistadores or whatever. And they still live in many ways like they did when they first got to those mountains. And they make these yokes for their oxen out of... They're not made out of leather so that they're flexible. They're made out of wood and sometimes a piece of steel so that if you put two oxen in that yoke, man, there's no flexibility and there's no stretch. Where one goes, the other goes. That's all there is to it. And that's what he's saying. Take my yoke upon you. Go where I go. Do what I do. Follow me. And you sit there and go, but there is the problem. You know, I I fall short. Yes, so do I. See, here's what I want you to see. If, if you're doing things to earn salvation, you are going to be miserable your entire life. Or if you're doing things so that you think by doing them He'll love you, you're going to be the most miserable person. I do things because I know He loves me. Not in hopes that He will. I do things because I know He loves me. That was settled on Calvary. I can try to be something more than what I can be. Why? Because of grace. And all my striving to be more holy or my striving to serve Him, I'm not trying to earn anything. I'm just trying to live according to what He's done for me. And if I fall, that's, that's not the end of the world. Why? Because everything is dependent upon grace and His unconditional love for me. So it's like you're safe. Now just live. You see. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me that I am gentle and humble in heart. You know, I was studying um, Ephesians chapter, um, no, Philippians chapter 2 a month ago and about the humiliation of Christ, about the incarnation of Christ. And one, uh, it may have been Peter O'Brien, the famous New Testament scholar, who said, when we see Jesus, we're not only seeing that He is humble, but that God is humble and kind and self-giving. You know, I'm known as a pretty hard preacher sometimes, but here's what you need to see. I spend most of my time when I'm here in our church and things like that and with people. My greatest goal when I'm with Christians is to try to show them how much God loves them. Because I found out that that sets people free and it also motivates them. Jesus doesn't drive His people with a whip. He motivates them with this great act of love He has done on their behalf. And the more you understand how much He loves you, the more you understand how gentle and humble of heart that He is, you will find rest for your soul. You're never going to find rest for your soul in your own performance. Never. It's not going to happen. And if it does, you're probably proud. 
I find rest for my soul in the fact that He is gentle and humble in heart and that His work on my behalf was perfect. That's where I find my peace. Outside of that, I have no peace. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, there have been some times in my life where it was difficult. Very difficult. But He's always there. Even when you don't know, He's there. He's not just walking beside you. He's carrying you. And He puts nothing upon you that by grace it cannot be accomplished. So, I've got to close. I've, I've gone too far. But young person, you will never find... Now, think about this. We're talking about the Lord of the universe, okay? Kings are not really well known for being humble. But we're talking about the King of kings. And His kindness... It doesn't matter what, you know, I could bring in the greatest preachers in the world right now maybe and none of them would be able to explain to you how kind He is. How loving He is. How gentle He is. How patient He is. So follow Him. Follow Him. All right. Well, when we start next uh, in our next session, we're going to move on and we're going to be in verses uh, 19 and farther down and try to make our way through Proverbs 3. But I, I hope this segment of, I think, four different teachings on Christ and Proverbs will in some way uh, help you. Help you. All right. Well, God bless you and, and, and have a great day. <laughs> have a great life. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Studies in Proverbs podcast produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society.